Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. The Fallout games have their fair share of iconic weapons and armor. Today we are diving in to one of the most iconic of these weapons that you can use in the Fallout games. A weapon seemingly ridiculous to the point of being a piece of fiction only. But it isn't. The Fallout games have their weird and wacky things. They also have a high prevalency of a focus on nukes and explosives, the kinds of things that in the middle years of the 20th century we were all worried about would bring forth the end of the world. And we know in the Fallout world, the world ends. We just talked about it last week. The bombs were dropped. Explosives and radiation brought the end of society. So it feels almost cartoonish knowing this to think that something like the Fat Man would have been an actual weapon used by people in war. A mini nuke launcher. Something that could hurl a nuclear bomb the size of maybe a football 150 yards ahead of you in order to take out your enemies and irradiate the ground that you are about to walk on. It seems kind of ridiculous. Today, we will be going into the in-game lore of the Fat Man and the strange, strange story about the actual real-world weapon that inspired it. Wastelanders, Vault Dwellers, welcome back to the show. This is Tomer Robots. Get ready. We're talking about the weird weapons of Fallout. Here we go. The Fat Man is a tactical nuclear catapult. You heard that correctly. Catapult. And you can tell by its design. It has kind of this tray that the the bomb sits in. And the way it launches is not like a gun being fired out of a barrel. It is something that is flinging this little bomb out ahead of you. <laughs> That's how it works. A tactical nuclear catapult. And it first shows up in Fallout 3, although in Fallout 4, we get the backstory. And you can find the backstory in Fort Strong's Terminals. This is the location where it was actually developed in Boston, Massachusetts. And so this is a location you can go visit in Fallout 4 and you can read through the terminals. And that's exactly what we're going to do here because this is the source information for the background of the lore. It all comes from these Bravo Team M42 reports. And the M42 was the designation of the Fat Man weapon, which eventually led to the Merv and some other special variants. But here we go. The first report says this. Things are getting tough around here. Brock has decided to split our men into two teams. I drew one of the short straws 
So I ended up with the M42 Fat Man Launcher Team, while most of my buddies are sitting pretty upstairs with the T-51B suits. So you can already tell that they are working on multiple projects, weapons, and armor here. I can't even begin to describe what a ridiculous idea the M42 is. A man-portable mini-nuke thrower that a trooper in the field is supposed to deploy at close range. I've been poring over the schematics, and I have no idea how we're going to get this thing to throw a warhead far enough not to kill the soldier unlucky enough to be stuck with these death traps. From the beginning of this report, it is absolutely clear that the in-game workers on the project knew that this is a ridiculous idea. First of all, you're throwing a mini-nuke and just kind of lobbing it out there ahead of you and hoping that it gets far enough that it doesn't destroy the person actually aiming and shooting it to begin with, let alone anybody else in the area that could be casualty damage, friendly fire of your own forces who happen to just be caught in the radius of this explosive. They knew it was a weird idea. And so you know that the developers knew that this was a silly idea, but they needed to justify it somehow in the Fallout world for this to work because it's one of those things that's fun. We talked about this on the last episode, that even the original designers of the first Fallout game, it was about, can we take something that's fun and ridiculous and really cool and fits the setting and put it in the games? And this is the kind of item that feels just like that. It's a bit ridiculous, but it absolutely makes sense for the kind of world that Fallout was before the bombs dropped. We get a second report. Bravo Team M42 Report 002. We've stripped the warhead weight down as much as possible. And I'll pause there. It makes sense. These things are not light. They need to be able to launch them as far as they possibly can so that they don't blow up the person with the weapon. But I think we're looking at this the wrong way. Instead of trying to reduce the warhead weight we should try and amp the power of the thrower itself. I know that means adding weight to an already heavy piece of ordnance, but I don't think we have any choice. One of the guys suggested we try magnetics to push the warhead through like a railgun, which is another kind of weapon that we can actually come across, right? But the power pack would need to be the size of a suitcase. I'll keep picking away at this problem, and see what I can turn up. So they're working on variations here and getting closer to solving the actual problem. If you can't make the ordinance itself, the bomb, lighter so that it can travel further, then increase the distance you can throw the already heavy ordinance. And maybe you can use something like a railgun in order to accelerate it and shoot it out at further distances. Well, how does this go? The next report, 003, says, We lost two good soldiers this morning. They were on the surface, testing a MERV variant of the launcher. Now, what exactly does MERV stand for? We use this all the time in video games when we're talking about explosives that somehow 
drop multiple explosives. They split into individual pieces. This is a real term. It means multiple independently targetable re-entry vehicles. This is a concept of shooting a missile up into the sky and then on its arc, it breaks open the actual container in the missile breaks open and underneath are multiple warheads that all target different places. This is what a Merv is. So in this context, you end up with a fat man or a version of a fat man that doesn't just launch one big, relatively speaking, uh, explosive, but launches multiple smaller ones that spread out in order to hit a bigger amount of area or number of targets, something like that. So they are testing this Merv variant of the launcher. They lose two soldiers and it goes on and says, when one of the warheads misfired and hit the ground right where they were standing. Poor bastards didn't even have a chance. We couldn't even find any remains to send home to their folks. So Brock told us, just fill some cans with sand. I'll tell you, that guy doesn't give a crap about us. He's just worried about the brass back in Washington, giving him a hard time. This gives us a little bit more insight into the project, clearly. This is obviously dangerous. They are working with weapons, with high explosion radiuses that can get set off relatively easily, seemingly even just misfiring at the ground, blowing up soldiers. But the insight here about Brock, the individual who is running this, is that he doesn't care. This is a situation where they need to get the weapons out for the war effort. And that's another piece of the puzzle here, is that this research is being done in 2076, very, very close to the Great War. The military knows that things are heating up with China. They know that they need to get power-armored suits out to the soldiers and weapons that they can use against whatever designs the Chinese have to use against the U.S. military. So he doesn't care. Put some sand in some cans and send it off to their parents. Tell them we're sorry. That's just how it goes. Report number four comes next. I was in bed last night when I had one of those eureka moments. I ran over to the night shift guys in the lab, swept all of their drawings on the floor, and started sketching my idea. I like the way this one starts because it feels like a movie scene where somebody's like, guys, I got it. And then they just push all the paperwork off the desk in order to like, you know, because they're so excited. That would be such a mess. Imagine if that was your desk and you're like, what? Hold on. No, I know where my stuff goes. Uh, okay. Uh, it feels like a movie moment. Also, another point in here is that we don't know the individual who is writing these. They are labeled team report. So somebody speaking for the team, but we don't know exactly who. It goes on and says, they must have thought I'd lost my mind six hours and about 14 cups of coffee later, and I had it all mapped out. We'd use a small subcharge as a launching catalyst to catapult the warhead from the launcher. We'd have plenty of range, and the subcharge could be built into the warhead itself. Brock seemed to like the plan and gave us the go-ahead to prototype the device. I can't wait to try it out. 
a eureka moment using a smaller explosion to launch a bomb that then has a bigger explosion. So there are a few things that are very interesting about this. First of all, this is how conventional ballistics work. You have a thing you want to get from the gun to the target. And so you use a small explosion at the back of the bullet in order to send the front part of the bullet forward. The casing falls out and the bullet is delivered to its target. The actual materials need to create that explosion are all contained in the bullet itself before it is discharged. It's not something that the gun holds. Every bullet is encased with its own explosives at the back that project the bullet. Um, I'm sure there's more technical terms for that, but you guys get the idea. Also, the way actual nuclear weapons work is with a an explosive charge that is around the actual irradiated substance in the middle. So you have explosives around a thing, conventional explosives around a thing that pressurize all of the plutonium or uranium or whatever it is that's in there. And it pressurizes and squishes it together so that it hits critical mass. You use an explosion to set off a bigger explosion. Same kind of concept, except this is about getting it out in front of the person who's shooting. So interesting makes sense that they would come up with a very similar concept that works in both of those regards. Then we get the fifth report. This is the final one. It says it took the better part of a year and over a hundred test firings, but the M42 is ready to ship out into the field. I can't believe I spent over a year on this single project. I feel pretty good knowing we're delivering a well-tested weapon to our own guys fighting overseas. Now that it's over, I suppose Brock will move on to something else, but for now, I'm going to spend the rest of the month packing up these warheads to ship off base. No twist at the end, like you would expect with so many of these terminals, where it starts with a story and then there's a twist. We get the twist kind of in the middle, some people were killed, and Brock's kind of a an uncaring leader. Then, well, we finish it up, we got it, it's working, everything's good. It's a rare scene in a Fallout game to have terminals that work this way. But we also have General Brock's terminals as well. Let's go through those. And these are dated. General Brock's report, June 2075. So we're going back to the year before a lot of the actual research was happening. As of today, command of Fort Strong has passed me. I am looking forward to helping the U.S. Army test some of its experimental weapon systems at our facility. I've already had the men preparing the island for testing operations by tearing down the old barracks and constructing a simulated town. Since we'll be fighting the enemy on an urban front, I think the best way to test these weapons is by seeing how well they punch through civilian structures. There is a phrase in warfare called total war where you don't just target the military facilities. It is something that was brought home to the world in World War II. The idea of targeting civilian structures and using that as pressure on the enemy. Brock was on board with that. He wasn't creating a simulated base for them to target. They were creating simulated homes and businesses a town full of what represents regular people 
probably don't have a whole lot to do with the war. We need to take a quick break and thank our patrons. Don't go anywhere because I've got the rest of the story and information about the real world weapons that inspired them. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. This is where I get to thank our patrons for their support. Thank you to every single patron who helps to support this channel. You are the best, and I couldn't do it without you. Welcome to any of the new patrons who have signed up in the last month or so. I think it's been over a week since we've had a new one, so I don't have any new names to shout out, but always happy to see new people signing up, and always happy to thank our Sentry Bots. These are our Tier 5 patrons, Germinator and Sky R. They get shoutouts every week. Thank you so much. And thank you to all 79 of our current active patrons. I couldn't do this without you. If you are interested in joining the Patreon and getting t-shirts and stickers, there's some new ones up there. Go look on the Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. You can see them. You have to scroll down a few posts because there's some episodes that have come up since I redid the designs. But go look at them. They're helmets based on different types of helmets in the game and I think they look amazing. I wish I could just get them for myself, but that's not how this works. These are only for patrons. So go check that out. Also, if you'd like to help us out in other ways, you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and I will read it out on a future episode like these that came in recently. This one is from Killer Zeba in the United States. He writes, an excellent Fallout podcast. Thank you. I'm a 30-something husband and father with a white-collar job, and playing video games is my way to escape the nine-to-five. Fallout, primarily 4 and 76, have always been of interest to me, and I love to scare myself with the stories behind each vault, some of the people you come across, and the experience of wandering around the atomic wasteland. This podcast helps me daydream while I'm cleaning the house or doing the dishes. I'll listen to an episode as a prologue to play for a few hours before bed. Absolutely amazing job, Tom. Thank you for reigniting my passion for this amazing game. Thank you, Killer Zeba, and uh, awesome. That's, that's just great. I really I love that shows like this can help people get through regular routine stuff during their day and also pump them up to play the games. That's awesome. We have another one from Garlic Shirt, which is a wonderful name uh, from the United States who writes. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Tom is an awesome speaker. I also found who dropped the bombs in Fallout 4. If you go to Makra Fish Packaging Plant in Fallout 4 on one of the rolls of Boston bugles it says that china released an atomic ultimatum which probably led to the great war yes this is something that is uh you can find evidence of this lots of different places which reinforces the idea that the united states and china were in conflict with each other and china was getting ready to attack and if you go back and listen to the previous episode that part wasn't so much 
obscured. It was the, did they really push the button first? Or did they really drop the first bomb and then just follow up with more? There was a lot more to it in the question than that. But yes, you can absolutely find bits of evidence like that all over the place. So thank you again for your support. Thank you for sharing those. And let's move on with the rest of the show. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right, so we left off on General Brock's first report, June of 2075. The next one comes in September of the same year. He says, We've been testing the new batch of T-51B power armor suits that the Army Corps of Engineers just rolled off the assembly line. I'm impressed with the amount of protection they afford our soldiers, yet allow them a great deal of mobility. I've noticed that the soldiers are still having trouble jumping in these things because of the suit's weight. They often tip over on hard landings. I've had the maintenance boys look at it, and they're suggesting adding a gyroscope and shock absorbers to the lower torso. I'll pass it up the chain and see if I can get Washington to spend the extra money it'll cost for the modification. So again, focus on the armor, but not the weapons yet. In February of 2076, he writes, Things are starting to heat up overseas, so Washington is pushing us to cut our project turnaround times in half. I told them... That would be dangerous, but it seems like we don't have much of a choice. You can see here in this message why he was so cold and uncaring about what happened to the soldiers. He knew it would be dangerous. He warned the people up the chain in Washington, and they didn't have a choice. I've decided to split my staff into Alpha Team and Bravo Team so we can work on two projects at the same time. The manpower will be reduced but I'm convinced that we'll still be able to maintain our new schedule. I'm going to put Alpha Team on the power armor and Bravo on the new M42 Fat Man launchers. So this is the origin of the team working on the launchers exclusively, February 2076. His next report is in June. He says Alpha Team just shipped out the first batch of T-51B suits to the front in China. Interesting. This is going to to the front right here immediately in June. So things are heating up overseas for sure. Reports are already coming in that the suits are performing better than expected, chewing through enemy tanks and armor like they were paper. Word has it that some of the enemy troops are even surrendering when they catch sight of the power armor troops hauling their five millimeter mini guns. Looks like Alpha Team has earned themselves a weekend past in Boston. <laughs> So they get to go out and have some fun. Bravo team, though, still working on stuff. December 2076. Bravo team is having a heck of a time getting the M42s not to shoot far enough away from its firing positions. The problem is that the warhead is still too heavy to fire the distance required. Our simulated soldiers are still soaking far too many rads and suffering blast burns. One of the technicians had suggested a radical idea of using a conventional depleted subcharge to catapult the round rapidly out of the chamber. His calculations look sound, so I'm going to let him give it a try. And then the final one from Brock in September of 2077, just a month before the bombs dropped. After a few design setbacks and the loss of one of our testing squads, we've finally perfected the M42 launcher's firing mechanism. Washington has been riding me to wrap this project up, but with a weapon this potent, I was inclined to take my time. We've sent the launchers ahead to the supply yard in Mississippi, and we're just waiting 
for the go-ahead to ship the warheads wherever they need to go. Hopefully we can get those nukes out of here before the month is out. I don't feel comfortable sleeping 20 feet above enough nukes to reduce this island to ash. And that's the end of the project. They wrap it up just a month before the bombs drop. And as we see in the games, they work. You launch them far enough out there and you don't blow yourself up. But you sure do do a lot of damage. Did I just say do-do? A lot of damage to the enemy. So as I was hinting at at the beginning of this episode, there's more to the story. There is a, well, almost personal nuclear device that was actually constructed and tested by the United States military. I'm pulling this data from Wikipedia about the Davy Crockett nuclear device. Yes, Davy Crockett, pioneer, famous name from, you know, the early parts of the American history or whatever. It's one of those, one of those guys you learn about in like grade school. It says the M28 or M29, there were two different variants and notice similar name to the Fat Man device that we were talking about. Davy Crockett weapon system was a tactical nuclear recoilless smoothbore gun for firing the M388 nuclear projectile armed with the W54 nuclear warhead that was deployed by the United States during the Cold War. It was the first project assigned to the United States Army Weapon Command in Rock Island, Illinois. It remains one of the smallest nuclear weapon systems ever built, with a yield of 20 tons of TNT. This thing is a mounted system for deploying a small nuclear device. It's not quite the size of like a football. It's a little bit bigger. It sits on the front of this tripod with a launcher that pushes the nuclear device out forward in front of the launcher in order to shoot at an enemy. And this device is really close to something the size of which an individual could hold, but it's still just a little bit too big, a little bit too powerful. So it needs to stand on a tripod so that it it doesn't fall down and it's also too heavy for an individual. It weighs 108 pounds. This is the first one, the M28, unloaded. This is without the actual bomb attached. The M29 weighs 316 pounds. This is way too much for an individual to fire on their own. And in actuality, in order for these things to be effective, required a crew of five people. Now, you're probably wondering, how far do these shoot? I mean, the original Fat Man went 150 yards. These can fire, the M28 can fire one and a quarter miles. That's two kilometers. The M29 could fire two and a half miles or four kilometers. Now, this was never used in actual warfare. It was never put out on a battlefield. And there's good reason for that. If you do a little bit of research and you find out the blast radius, remember radius is from the center of the blast to the edge of the circle. It's not diameter. That's across the entire circle radius from the point of impact of where this bomb would explode to the 
furthest point of that circle, which would also aim back at the person launching it, the blast radius of 10 tons of explosives, which is half the payload, is just about two and a half miles. <laughs> so if you're launching an M28 and it only goes one and a quarter miles, the blast radius, you are in half, you're halfway into the blast radius of the explosive. If you were to launch the M29, you would be right at the edge, two and a half miles away from where the explosives go off. The crews who were manning these were potentially nuking themselves. This was a problem. Now you might think, we'll just use a different nuke, use something that does a little bit less damage, and I'm sure they went through all of the different options. And remember, this was designed during the Cold War, which means it never actually saw use. This project basically wraps up in 1967, about five or six years after they started working on this. The actual warhead itself was removed from use from the United States military in August of 1967. The last nuclear-equipped warhead was retired in 1971. Brigadier General Alvin Cohen, assistant division commander of the 3rd Armored Division, while stating the weapon was a significant advance in technical terms and that the laboratory responsible deserved, quote, a great deal of credit, further stated that the United States Army retired the weapon due to the personnel costs associated with it, as well as apparent, quote, great fear that some sergeant would start a nuclear war. That's it. That's it right there. These were still nukes, small ones, but still nukes. One of these going off in the Cold War could have triggered a response that led to the end of civilization. So I think we're all pretty glad these weren't actually used in any real conflict. There are some other details here about the fat man that I wanted to go over, some fun little uh, Easter eggs and things. Of course, the fat man is named after the actual fat man and the little boy, the two bombs that were used in World War II. I think most people probably picked up on that. Um, it also uses a similar launching to the Piat launchers of World War II. These were anti-vehicle weapons that basically were like little catapults that kind of did the same kind of thing and worked that way. Um, also interesting of note, the bell heard after reloading is actually the lunch bell at Bethesda. Somebody just recorded the lunch bell and used that as a sound in the game, which is pretty cool. And then finally, the designation M42 is shared with a couple other pieces of military equipment, such as the M42 Duster SPAA gun and the M42 submachine gun. So there you have it, the Fat Man and the real world Davy Crockett. I hope you enjoyed this look at the weapons of Fallout. If you are interested in more of these kinds of episodes where we go into detail about weapons and some of the items and real world corollaries, let me know. If you enjoy this, let me know. Comment on the Discord or, you know, send me a an X. How does that even work? Send me a tweet. Let's just keep calling it Twitter. Uh, but thank you for being here. Have a wonderful rest of your week and stay safe out there. Try not to launch any nukes unless you're in the video game. Then launch them all you want. All right. Talk to you next time. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. 
reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club, where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community, over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord. Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.